welcome to another episode of Awaken Parenting. I'm your host, Jill McPherson, parenting consultant, mother of four, and teacher, here to answer your parenting questions. One of the most effective skills that I'm very passionate about teaching in my online parenting workshops, as well as parents who I support one-to-one, is nonviolent communication. This way of communication, founded by Marshall Rosenberg, is otherwise known as the language for life. If you're interested in learning more about NBC and ways that you can improve your intimate relationship, then you'll want to listen in to today's episode of Awaken Parenting. Since learning how to use NBC at school, my days as a teacher have improved immensely. To be honest, I can't remember the last time I was in conflict with a student. I decided I would bring NBC into all my relationships, including with my children and my husband. You can find out more about them and their work on their website, parentstolovers.com. When I was on Ian and Monica's website recently, I realized that Ian's focus is to support parents on how to stay intimately connected in their relationships. We all know the strain that becoming parents can put on a relationship. As parents, we can all fall into the trap of putting so much time and energy into being parents that we forget ourselves as a couple. I know some of the parents that I support, as well as some of my listeners, have expressed frustration with feeling more disconnected with their partner over the years since becoming parents. So I reached out to Ian to assist me in ways we can use NBC, not only in parenting, but in ways to connect more intimately with our partners. He agreed to join me on my podcast. Ian is originally from Great Britain and now lives in Romania with his wife and daughter, being a father of three girls in total. He's been working with nonviolent communication for 20 years, and he's a certified trainer in NBC and a professional coach. He is passionate about supporting great relationships in all areas of life with a focus on intimate relationships. I'm very delighted to introduce Ian, who has joined me from his home in Romania. Welcome, Ian. Thank you, Jill. I'm really delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And thanks to technology, we can connect this way. So, Ian, I have some questions here from parents who are struggling with feeling less connected in their marriage or intimate relationship. And so I'm, I'm so grateful you're here today to help me address them. Now, first of all, can we just start by offering um, our listeners an overview of nonviolent communication? And I know it's a huge topic and we could take one day explaining it all or even trying to, to grasp it. But let's just start by giving everyone here just some, some background just to try to bring us all to the same page. Yeah, I, I mean, as you say, Jill, it's, it is a huge topic. But for me, the, kind of the, the essence of it is to connect with our humanity, our humanness, both mine and the people around me. Um, it, it's like discovering deeper layers of, you know, what, what makes us human? What, what, what gives us vitality? Where's this source of life energy? And if we can reach that point as a point of connection between myself and everyone else, then it really deepens, uh, really deepens connection. Um, mm-hmm. Not only does it deepen connection, which in itself is, you know, I think we're all longing for this quality of connection with other human beings where we can be our, our authentic self and we can receive the authentic selves of particularly the people who are most in, important to us. 
Uh, it's about listening. It's about vulnerability. Uh, it's about unlearning some of the habits, the communication habits that rather tend to disconnect us and block us from each other and replacing those habits with ones that are maybe a bit more effective, such as just being aware of when we're judging each other. It's very, it's very, it's very simple, but actually very hard to do to notice those judgments. So as okay. it, this is kind of the essential um, intention of nonviolent communication is really get this quality of connection that I think we're all yearning for, especially in our close relationships with intimate partners, with children. Right, right. So it's, it's skill sets that help us to create that connection we're longing for. Yeah, and I think there's, there's two particular skills that is focusing on. It's how do I communicate what's, you know, what's inside me in a way that's easy for people to, to hear. So rather than criticizing and judging someone else because they're not doing what I want, can I reveal how that's impacting me, taking ownership and responsibility for, for my struggle with what's going on and bringing that out in a vulnerable way that's also taking care of the other person? And can I listen to the other? Can I listen below the words? You know, often we're using words in a way that's very disconnecting. And if I can develop the skill of listening, then I can protect myself from that, from the impact of that. I'm not getting triggered when I hear my wife, for example, criticizing me. Um, I'd like to say that I never get triggered when she criticizes me, but that's not true. <laughs> I get better and better. But can I hear underneath, you know, when she's criticizing me, what is she struggling with? What's going on with her in, you know, in that moment? So it's this skill of listening and receiving her beyond the words or underneath the words. Okay, well, let's see if we can, um, you know, get a better idea of just by applying it to questions um, that yeah, uh, sure. some of our, our parents are, are focusing, are struggling with. So um, my first question here is, how do we focus on the relationship with the limited time and energy we have? Um, and this, this is common, particularly with, you know, parents that are busy with little ones that require a lot of their, their time. Um, so yeah, how do you I mean focus on I mean, I know, I know from personal experience just how consuming young, especially young children, but it, it, the, the, the consumption of energy and time, uh, res, other resources, space, uh, money, it, it continues, but in, in different ways as they, as they get older. Um, and, and clearly it has a big impact on the relationship because before the kids came along, you know, you had your space, you had your time together, and now suddenly there's this little one who actually needs, you know, when they're, particularly when they're very young, almost full-time care. For me, it's about, it's a question of prioritizing, you know, what's important. And I find so many people say, you know, there, there are a couple of things that are important in my life. There's obviously my relationship is important, my family, my work. And uh, I, I do an exercise with parents where I ask them to, you know, in, in order of priority, what are the things that are most important to them? And then to map against that, how much time do they devote to each? And for most oh. couples, it's really quite shocking to see that it's really unbalanced how we are allocating our time. Time's a limited resource, no matter how much we, want, we might want to attract abundance into our life. We only ever have 24 hours a day. So if we're not allocating uh, a portion of that time to the relationship, and of course, the relationship's going to suffer. 
So for me, it's, a, it's, it's really a question of prioritizing what's most important. How important is the relationship to me? I'm being really honest about that and allocating an amount of time that I have available, ideally every day, you know, to honor that relationship. Relationships can't thrive if we're not devoting time to them. Uh, right. as, as you know, I tell my, I tell my couples, if, if you're not spending any time together, then frankly, you don't have a relationship. Um, right. And, and it's, uh, you know, in this time of coronavirus, I think couples have been put together and there's this kind of illusion of spending 24 hours together that, you know, we're spending a lot of time together, but it's not the amount of time, it's the quality of time. So what I, what, what I want to do is to find, you know, what's the smallest amount of time that I can allocate to a really meaningful connection with my partner. Really meaningful is different for all of us. For me, it's about talking and listening. It's allocating, you know, 20 minutes every day to really share with each other the deeper layers, not just the superficial stuff of, you know, what the shopping lists are and what jobs need to be done. But this, you know, what am I feeling? What am I experiencing? What, what are my needs uh, that are coming up for me? And this is changing day by day. Right. Um, and do you find that um, the struggle that couples might have in allocating that time is not even so much there's lack of time, but lack of skill set to even go there? You know, because if we're going to sit down and have uh, a vulnerable conversation about feelings and and expressing what's happening, you know, what's alive in us, as as we say in NBC, um, yeah. you need to you need to kind of sit down and, and have the skills in order to do that. If not, that uh, conversation that you intended to be connecting and, and intimate building uh, has now become destructive. Well, I, th I think it can be down down to skills, but if you're not having deep, uh, connecting, really authentic conversations with each other before the kids are born, then right. it's unlikely it's unlikely that you're going to suddenly start that after the kids are born, especially now that time is you know more pressured. And so th there is a skill element, but I think it's also about you know, what's our intention towards each other in this relationship. What is the relationship that we want to build here? Do we have a vision? So you know, are we growing together? Do we want to grow together or do we want to just reach you know, a point where we're roommates? You know, my, right. my wife and I have this kind of code that where we haven't been finding the time to connect, maybe for a week or so, one of us will suddenly realize, you know, hang on a minute, we haven't we really haven't spoken together. We've seen each other a lot, but we haven't really connected. So we'll start calling each other roommates. Um, <laughs> and this is kind of our code for, okay, we need, we need to find some time to just connect, see what's going on, you know, what's up, not just in terms of, you know, um, what we're doing in the day and who's picking our daughter up from school, you know what's, what's really important for us at the, at the moment we, we had one this morning and the question was you know what's moving in your soul at the moment so we might use a particular question to get into that i think we can all do it we have the skills to do it but so for me it's more about habit right do, have, have we got this habit of finding time for each other right it's become parts a part of your 
your routine the way other things that are essential in your routine, like eating, sleeping, you know, yeah. bathing, like it just, it becomes that much of a priority. Yeah. And I think that, the, I think Jill, the skill comes in if I'm not, if it's not something that I've ever done before, when I start to do it, or maybe one partner is pushing for this and the other, you know, is, is a bit reluctant, then there is a risk that, you know, going into this stuff that we don't usually talk about will raise some things that there's a good reason why we don't want to talk about them because they're painful, because they're difficult mm. to deal with. You know, maybe we recognize that in, on some things we're just not aligned. And you know, rather than talking about them for, for years, we've just ignored it. We've papered over it. So when we dive into these deeper stuff, it can bring up challenging topics to talk about. Right. And, you know, and that's where the skill comes in. If we have the skill to really be able to listen to each other, to keep some distance and not be triggered. You know, if my wife is, uh, you know, talking at the moment, we've got a topic about what, where we live. I enjoy living in the city. She wants to live in the countryside. If I hear this conversation as about a, an attack on my preferences and my choices, then, of course, the conversation is going to go, you know, in a very uncomfortable direction. But we've hopefully, I think most of the time we have the skills to be able to, I can hear this as what she is yearning for. She can also hear why it's important for me to live in the city. And then we can start to work out, okay, so how can we create a lifestyle that can give both what we need? Um, if we didn't have the skills, then yes, it would end in a, probably in a fight of some kind. Mm, right. Okay, great. Um, well, let's move on. I've got another question that says, yeah. uh, what, what do you do when one of the couples are, and it's, um, is more focused on the child, and I know this often happens with moms, um, than on the partner? So maybe dad's feeling a little neglected because mom's focusing yeah. so much time, especially on baby. Um, what what uh, do you offer couples in that scenario? You know, this sounds like one of those uh, difficult topics that it's, you know, there might be a tendency to paper over it or cover it up, not talk about it. Um, so my my strong advice is is to talk about it. Find some time to you know, talk about it. Um, now, clearly, kids need, particularly young kids, particularly babies, obviously need a lot of care, and it's quite normal that you know one or both parents, you know, are almost entirely focused on on that. But to recognize that that's having an impact on the relationship. And it may be that if, if you're talking about it with this kind of awareness that this is a temporary thing, we, we are consciously deciding to do this and we have a plan for how to, how to reconnect. Now, once the baby starts to become a little bit more independent, it can be left maybe with uh, family members. We can get some uh, support really to have a plan, um, to put it into the bigger context. Uh, and, and I think particularly for new parents, this, this aspect can come as a bit of a shock. It's like suddenly our life is, is changed and mm -hmm. the partner who's feeling a bit neglected just doesn't know what to do with it. I, I advise anything like that that's coming up, talk about it. And another thing here is not to talk about it when the when this frustration or this sense of neglect is at its strongest, because when I'm you know when I'm on the 
in, I mean, the heat of an emotional response or emotional reaction, then I, I tend to lose my flexibility in how I can speak up and how I can listen. So if I speak up in that moment when I'm feeling, you know, most neglected, you know, maybe I've, I've, I've been away and I've come back and, you know, what I'm really yearning for is my partner to come to me and welcome me, be interested in how my trip was, and instead my partner ignores me because they're focused on, on the child. In that moment, then it's likely that I'm going to speak up in a way that's very critical. Um, it's not going to come out in a way that's going to be very constructive and connecting. So to wait for the moment when, you know, we're both relaxed, we've got some time, we're, and we can talk about it, we can listen to each other. Right. And again, as you said before, it's about sharing from your own personal experience and learning how to share, not from, from an attack, but from a, this is what's happening for me. Yeah. So an example of, of nonviolent communication in, in this particular example would be if I'm, if, I'm not commu- if I'm communicating in a way that's rather disconnecting, then I'm going to communicate, you know, let's say it's my wife, I'm going to communicate, you, know, you, you never pay attention to me, you're always focused on the, on, on the child. That might be how I might express this pain that I'm feeling. It's about her and what she's doing or not doing. Now, when she hears that, it's very likely that she's going to be triggered by that. I mean, no one likes to hear, no one likes to hear criticism or judgment. Instead, what I might want to communicate is how it is for me. So, you know, I'm right now feeling lonely. I'm feeling frustrated. I have a need for some connection with you. It's about me. And right. then it's much easier to hear that somehow. It's much, you know, because she, she can relate to that feeling of loneliness and connection. She probably feels it as well. Um, she's just dealing with it in a different way. So this creates a point of connection. We can both relate to this. So it starts the conversation off in a, you know, in a way where we're coming towards each other rather than pushing this wedge between us. Right. Okay. The next question here is, uh, we don't see eye to eye on how to raise our children. How do we reconcile this? Well, the answer is the same. Talk about it. <laughs> right. Um, right. You know, I, I'm, I'm a great believer in communication, particularly, you know, if, if there are things that one or both of us are struggling with, then this means we, it's something that needs to be talked about. But there's another answer to this particular question. You know, I, I realized um, I've got three three daughters. My, my eldest is 29. My youngest is 11. So when I, when I first became a parent, I had zero education on parenting. I knew nothing about the topic. The, the only source of information that I'd got was how I was raised, how my parents had raised me. So that was my model. That was my entire education. So I assumed that that was the way to raise kids. Right. Um, and you know, I was never beaten, but but smacking was was pretty normal. So I smacked my my daughter. That was how I was raised. That was what I thought was normal. It was only when I started to educate myself uh, together with my my wife now, my my current wife, who's passionate about you know learning. You know, what's what are the modern? What's our modern understanding about child development? 
or some modern understanding, the latest thinking research on uh, how to effectively raise kids, it completely changed my whole paradigm of parenting. Because I realized that, you know, my parents were doing the best they could with what they knew. But what we know now, you know, 30, 30 odd years later, is so much more. We understand so much more about child development, about the impact of hitting kids. And I would, you know, now knowing this, there are other reasons as well, but just knowing the impact of smacking kids, I would never do it. Why would I want to bring that energy, knowing what I know about the impact of smacking kids? Why would I do that? It's right. not doesn't fit within my parenting system. So I suspect that if the parents are not aligned on how to raise kids, it the chances are it comes from not being fully educated about the best ways, the current thinking on child development. We, we tend to get stuck in the paradigm of our parents and grandparents. And if those right. are different, if those are different, then... Of course, that's going to re- that's going to give a misalignment, you know, in how we're how, how we think about raising kids. So right. you know, let's talk about it. Let's get educated, and then we can make some informed decisions. Yeah, it reminds me. I have one of my uh, parenting blogs is we parent the way we were parented unless we choose otherwise, and it's exactly, it's exactly. that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's that invitation to seek out beyond your own childhood experience with your parents. And uh, to to you know raise the bar and uh, and do even better. And as as you said, I fully agree. Our parents were doing the best they could with what they had. Um, and but when we when we know more, then then we can do more uh, effective parenting with more information. So yeah, so that's a really valid point that often couples could be in this situation because um, a lack of you know education or awareness on on you know, parent uh, rearing strategies. So, so that's great. Um, so our next question um, I have is uh, we don't seem to find each other as attractive anymore um, because we're tired, we're putting on weight, not taking as much care of ourselves. There's, you know, could be different reasons. So what to do when you're just simply not finding each other as attractive anymore? That's, that, that's a, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Because uh, you know, the, it's probably some element of attraction that brought us together in the first place. And if that is you know, no longer there, then um, it, it, it is a challenge. One thing that I kind of realized, uh, well, so one thing is obvious. As we get older, we change. Now, whether we get more attractive or less attractive in the eyes of our partner, then that's personal preference. But we do change. We don't stay the same. So whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, mentally, all the dimensions of us are changing. So one thing that I encourage couples to do is to find those things that they do find attractive about their partner rather than the things they don't find attractive. And that may change, that will change over time. So um, there are different elements that we find that we're drawn to partners. One, you know, the obvious is physical attraction, but there's so much more than that. We don't, I hope, most of us don't simply start a family with someone because we like the look of them. There's much more to it than that. There's, there's emotional attractiveness. There's intellectual attractiveness, spiritual, sexual, all of these, and, and, the, and, and I guess there's others. 
So it's to you know, expand this perspective on what we find attractive in each other and to nurture those things. So do you know what your partner finds attractive in you? That's a, that's a question that I invite my couples that I'm working with. To, I, I do an exercise where I say, okay, write down, you know, what, what, what do you find attractive about yourself? What do you find attractive about your partner? And what do you think your partner finds attractive about you? And then put them together. And there's a very rich conversation and connection around that, around those questions. Because often we, you know, we find things attractive, but we don't maybe recognize it or talk about it with, with our partner. And our partner often doesn't know. So there's, there's, there's this kind of raising awareness of the things that we do find attractive, expanding our perspective on it, and then nurturing those things that we can nurture. So you know, looking after ourselves um, physically better. Do we, do we exercise? Do we, you know, what we, what we eat, our diet? And all the other things that go into our physical attractiveness. Intellectually, are we continually you know, working with our mind, learning new things, exploring new things, etc.? And we can go through all the different dimensions and you know, have a look at you know, what, are, what are the things that I can do to keep being attractive to myself and to my partner. And right. it, it obviously it there is this challenge of particularly young kids that, you know, as you know, they're so tiring, Keep, keeping this up during the, that period may be challenging. Right. Um, I totally know. agree. And I, and I hear what you're saying. I really like the part you're saying, you know, to take ownership for your part in this. So what can you do for your own sort of self-care and maintenance? And I say this to, to moms in particular all the time who, you know, sometimes um, I'll see even like say postings on social media and it seems to be um, uh, almost a, a fad in the sense of uh, moms sort of talking about how hard it is to be a mom. And, and for me, of course it, it is, it's a very hard job, but I guess what I think is, you know, when I see something like, you know, they barely have time to like, you know, they're just drinking a smoothie today because they don't have time to eat. I can't, I can't fathom that. I can't comprehend that because, um, you know, I have four kids and there was a time where I had four, seven and under, and I was pretty much uh, taking care of the kids uh, on my own. Most of the time, my husband, you know, worked full time. We also run a farm and he's away a lot. And so, um, and I would say to them at no point in, in my parenting, did I even miss a shower? Uh, because I decided that self-care would be very important to maintain. Um, and I, my philosophy has always been, it's my job to take care of my children's mother. Um, and so, you know, I, I never missed a shower. I just figured out, I got up early before they'd wake up. I would have my little yoga routine and meditation routine so I could be grounded and ready, you know, to be the best mom. I still do it. I had my routine this morning. Um, so uh, it's just so important. Um, this idea of sort of martyrdom is, is not only not good for yourself, it's not good for your marriage, it's not good for your kids. Um, so I really um, advocate to, to my parents, particularly the moms I support, um, to implement some sort of self-care. Uh, and that's not selfish. You know, that's uh, really taking care of your family. Um, so, yeah, so I really appreciate your saying to take ownership of what you can do. And in doing that, you'll um, nourish your own relationship. 
Yeah, absolutely. And what what I'm hearing and what you're what you're, what you're saying, Jill, is the importance of you know, developing healthy habits. Because you know, if if you're taking a shower every day and you have that in your routine, then it makes it much harder to drop it. You know, you you, you know, I, I'm imagining that sometimes you don't even need to think about it. It's just automatic. Right. You 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 do it. It's a healthy, good habit that you know takes care of yourself, takes care of some things that are important for you. So I'm a great believer in developing routines and habits that serve us. You know, and you know, and we have bad habits as well. Removing those, replacing them with good habits. Right. Great. Okay, let's move on. So um, another question here is, how can we learn to stop fighting over small things? Well, actually, I wouldn't advise anyone to fight over fight over anything. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but but I, yeah, I, I take the point in in the in the question. It's like I, I remember my first marriage was was full of these niggling little arguments, and you know, the, stepping back from them, looking back at them now, they seem pointless. I remember having the, a huge argument with my wife. I mean, really shouting and screaming at each other about what was the right way to cut potatoes when you're cooking them? Should you cut them along the long, the, the, the long uh, cross section or the short cross section? Oh, and we had this huge fight about it. And it was, you know, stepping back from it is completely crazy on one hand. But then later on, when I look back at it now, I see that what we missed <clears throat> was the opportunity to dive deeper. Why was this so important to us? So why it was so important to us to have this big fight was it was in the early days of our marriage and my mother had taught me to cook potatoes one way, hers the other way. So it was about, you know, breaking the bonds from parents. It was about forming our own relationship and building trust and um, loyalty to parents. It was, it was a very complex mix of stuff that was coming up in this potato fight. And we never got there. We didn't have the awareness or the skills. So all these niggling little fights, I advise my couples to take the time not to just kind of tell each other that, you know, this is pointless. This is crazy that we're fighting over this. It's not crazy. There's a reason for it. What's the reason for it? Go deeper. What's underneath it? And then if you do that with the spirit of, discovery. So I'd really like to discover why is it so important to both of us, the way we cut potatoes, then we can really discover some beautiful things about each other, some things that we're struggling with. We get to these deeper layers. You know, with the potatoes, it was probably three or four layers underneath what the fight was about. So I find there's, you know, there's treasure in the smallest little fight we have if we can find the time and the energy to really delve into it, to dive into it. Why is it important? Right. And I find the more that we do that, the less we, less we fight. So the more we're talking about stuff, the more we, we're finding conflict as an opportunity to connect with each other rather than disconnect from each other, then we fight less. We fight about, we stop fighting ultimately. Or when we do fight, we can reset very quickly and come back to each other. And right. I think that you, you asked earlier about skill. I think this is a skill that can be developed. 
um, this skill of being able to step out of a of a fight, recognize it, and use it to connect and get deeper. Right. Well, I always think of the Course in Miracles when it says we're never upset for the reason we think. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. I always apply that to when I do get upset, and particularly in my relationship with my husband over something. I do my best to take that deep breath and get curious and just go, okay, so I know it's not about being late. This isn't, you know, what I'm really upset about. It's, and then, and as you say, just kind of go to it as a, with a discovery energy um, and let go of any sort of needing to be right or wrong or, you know, proving the other one wrong or um, that, that kind of thing, but just more like what's really going on here. Why was I so triggered about him being late? and uh and and just get and curious to to figure out what it's really all about um because it's never as we say it's never the reason we think there's something more yeah. Yeah. so yeah I, I i love that i love that saying and and you also pointed to this you know being right and my question is why is it so important for you to be right in this moment mm-hmm. so that's then pointing to what's underneath it's and it's always about opinion because facts we can check. We don't often fight about facts. We can check those out. One of us was right. One of us was wrong. One of us made a mistake or a misunderstanding. It's, it's opinions, it's attitudes, it's beliefs. Those are the things where we seem to get attached to being right. You know, my way of you know, raising the kids, for example, is right and yours is wrong. Why is it so important to be right? Is it worth holding on to this? at the expense of the connection and the relationship. Right. Yeah. It reminds me uh, when I, when I took a workshop, actually, a, um, a, sorry, a, a book study um, to do with the course in miracles and the facilitator would always say, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? Um, yeah. And so it was her invitation to always recognize when our need to be right was creating suffering. And when we could let go of the need to be right, um, we'd find happiness. Um, and so uh yeah, that's, that's excellent. Um, okay, I've got one final question here. Um, yeah. We don't talk about the really important things anymore. What can we do about it? In addition to my standard answer of, well, talk about it, uh, talk about why you're not talking about important things anymore, create some space to talk about that topic. I think there's, there's something else here. I, I recognized with um, my, my uh, previous relationship that we talked a lot but it was, it turned out it was becoming like really hard work. It was joyless. So everything was serious. So we'd oh. talk about whatever was coming up. We were finding the time to do it, but it was like really heavy. So what I'm wanting to do now is to find ways to make this lighter, to make this more fun, more enjoyable. Um, one way that I've found that really helps is to develop in the relationship what, what, what I call a culture of gratitude and appreciation. So are we expressing to each other the things that we're enjoying, that we're liking about being together, about what the other is doing, about how we're interacting as a family, as a couple? Do we have that as a habit? And I've found over the last two years, my wife and I, we've developed this as a habit. So every day we find time to tell each other at least five things that we are grateful for and appreciate about maybe something small that they did over the last 24 hours, maybe something in the way that they show up. Um, 
and we share this with each other. And it made such a huge difference to the quality of what we're talking about. It makes it much easier, I find, to talk about the important things, some of which are wonderful, things that we want to celebrate. Important things also are those where we're not you know, thriving in the moment, either individually or in the relationship. Those need to be talked about as well. But if we've got this culture of kind of positive energy, we know that you know, we're appreciated, that fundamentally what we're doing is on the right path and is recognized by my partner. It makes it so much easier you know, to dive into the negative stuff, the difficult stuff. If the negative difficult stuff is all we talk about, then that seems to kind of characterize the whole relationship, which is, which is a shame and kind of discourages people, I think, from going there. Right. Yeah. So this, this yeah. gratitude and appreciation, fully, fully, on, you know, fully recommend it. I can relate to this too about you know the heavy thing because I I remember when uh, the kids were were younger and um, we were well my husband and I've always done date nights but we were uh, you know having still making sure we kept these date nights but you know, I noticed my husband seemed to not be enjoying them as much and when I was telling a girlfriend you know she was like well what do you do on a date nights and you know well let's go for dinner and then I told her some of the things that you know I want to talk about and it was often some of the serious heavy stuff and she's like well no wonder he doesn't want to go on a date night like it sounds like torture um (laughs) and uh so then (laughs) then I realized I'm like oh yeah because the the date nights end up being bringing up sort of serious heavy topics and so I made a point of okay when we do go out on a date night, it doesn't need to always be dealing with some of this heavy stuff. It can, you know, or maybe just one little thing, but not several things in one night and keeping it, you know, the conversation lighter, or more fun or talking about, you know, even as you said, like things you're, you're grateful for um, is, uh, is another great, great topic. Um, so that really brought some consciousness to me and realizing that you know, yes, it's important to talk about those important things, uh, but it all doesn't have to come concentrated at one time or in, you know, two hours, you know, once a month or something, it can be um, dispersed and over time. And, and uh, as you said, even having that ritual of talking every day of setting it some time every day, then likely, you know, I wouldn't have had sort of this suitcase of topics to bring to date night because, it's like I had accumulated all the stuff and waited till, you know, we didn't have kids around. And then I would want to, you know, open this big suitcase of heavy topics. And, and in hindsight, I was like, oh, right. So it's just doing it bits and pieces continually kind of all the time, not just concentrating it to one, one time. So over an extended period of time. So that's, that's another thing to, to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love that story. Yeah. Um, that's great. Well, um, uh, I appreciate you helping me with these questions. Uh, I know uh, relationship challenges is huge with with the parents that I support, and um, and I appreciate your your insight on this. And so, Ian, I want to thank you for joining me today. Um, you've definitely uh, offered us some some great ideas and insight on how we can remain lovers and romantic partners while still being parents. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jill. And uh, yeah. maybe, maybe just one last thought, sure. which is very, very short. You know, relationships, you're in a relationship. Do you just let it happen or do you bring consciousness and intentionality 
into your relationship. And it's a choice we all have. Do we just let it happen or do we consciously move our relationship forward? Right, right. So inviting parents to, to realize that relationships just don't happen on their own. It takes care and, and intention and, and uh, love and communication. Yeah, well, yeah well, 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 they will happen on their own. It's just they might not turn out in a way that we would enjoy if we just let them happen on their own. Gotcha. Yeah, really good point. Great. Well, I also want to remind our listeners to check out more details on how Ian and his wife, Monica, support couples on their website, parentstolovers.com. There you'll find Ian's weekly articles on couple relationships. And he also has some upcoming courses for parents that you may want to check out. One's called Ride the Waves and another one's called Extraordinary Relationships. I'll uh, attach the links uh, to the bottom of my podcast on my website, jillmcpherson.com, if you're interested in checking that out. If you're wanting to explore and learn more about communication skills we spoke about in today's podcast, then you may want to also check out my online parenting workshops at jillmcpherson.com. I have an online four-week workshop called Small Hands, Big Challenges for parents of children approximately aged 4 to 10, and another one called Stay Connected with Teens for parents of tweens and teens. Each of these are one evening a week and run for a month. The May workshop sessions are now open for registration, so be sure to check them out at chillmcpherson.com to register. I also want to remind you that I offer the Peaceful Parenting Program for parents who want more ongoing support in using the knowledge and skills they learned in the workshop. We meet every Tuesday night on Zoom, and I really enjoy this session as parents just show up with their questions and I answer them right on the spot. In the meantime, do you have a parenting question or questions that you would like me to answer in my next podcast? Then please email me at jillmcpersonyes at gmail.com. Until then, this is Jill McPherson inviting you to join me in awakening to a more peaceful way to parent on Awaken Parenting.